Welcome into the Friday edition of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. Justin Hall here with you. We are going to get to some breaking news from the Supreme Court involving the Texas law that we discussed several months ago, but the Supreme Court has come down with a ruling, and we're going to check in the mailbag. But first, we go to Dave Wilson with that update on the Texas SCOTUS decision. So the Supreme Court of the United States of America has taken on the Texas abortion law, which basically deputized everybody within the state of Texas that said anyone can bring a civil suit against anyone who is involved in an abortion. Not only the doctor, but you could go to the nurse. You could be the receptionist up front. You could be the Uber driver that took the woman to the abortion clinic. It was a $10,000 civil fine that you could sue for. And that, in essence, was creating a peer pressure style approach to addressing the abortion issue. It's not a criminal offense. It is a civil offense. And there were some folks when this first came out, they're like applauding it because it's, hey, this is a great thing because we're going to be stopping abortion. Well, the reality of it is when you start looking at its application on the other side, it could very easily be flipped right back around and used against Christians for where we stand on issues. So it's a two-edged sword. Some have called it a Pandora's box, and I'm not trying to disparage uh, those that have worked so hard on this Texas law. I think that they thought outside the box, and I think that some in other states are already trying to do that. Of course, we have to understand how appellate court makeup and those sorts of things play out into those different states and their what they're trying to do. But I'm, I'm totally with you, Dave. I think it's important for us to understand that's a two-edged sword that can cut both ways. Yes, in this case, it cut down on abortions, and we're grateful for those lives that have been saved in the last month and a half or two months since the Texas uh Law's been in place, but we also have to understand that if that law can be, if if that technique can be used against abortion and abortion clinics, the same technique is or will or has already been used against uh, the things that we care about in our deeply held religious beliefs. So the question is coming down of how has the number, how have the numbers broken themselves down? It was basically a five-four decision on this one. Chief Justice Roberts kind of wrote his own opinion on this, kind of setting it up for, okay, it was more like a 5-1-3 decision. And in that particular case, one of the interesting comments that was made, and this is made by one of the most conservative members of the court, and that is uh, Justice Thomas. He said, the case should not proceed against any of the defendants. None has an enforcement role, nor is there imminent threat of enforcement. So basically what we are seeing the Supreme Court doing now when it comes to the issue of abortion is last week they took on the Dobbs case, which is the Mississippi case, which Mississippi passed a law that said no abortions after 15 weeks, which then brought up the question of, okay, is this based upon viability, which is kind of where the numbers were previously by, by Supreme Court decisions. Again, keep in mind, folks, these are not laws, They are judicial opinions because the judicial branch cannot create laws. I mean, that's one of those fundamental things about American government and American government structure that you have to keep in mind. Now, did the Supreme Court create a level of constitutionality? Yes, they did so through their opinion. But at the same time, there is no law on the books 
nor is abortion actually addressed in the United States Constitution, which was one of the arguments that, that Justice Gorsuch brought up in the oral arguments of the Dobbs case. The, the, the Constitution of the United States is actually neutral on the issue of abortion. Ultimately, I think what these opinions by the Supreme Court do is uphold the Constitution. Uh, when 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 they make the right decision according to the Constitution, they're supposed to view the laws that are made through the lens of the Constitution. And as they work through the lens of the Constitution, they call into question the constitutionality of the law that has been passed either by a state or even a federal law. I think it's important for us to understand how people view the Constitution, whether it is the original intent of those founding members that that wrote and signed that document one of the it is the world's oldest uh governing constitution um or if it's a living breathing document that morphs and moves and changes with time i think it's important for us to understand the original intent of the founding fathers and what they signed, what they did, what they meant when they wrote what they did, especially in context of a document that was written 200 plus years ago and what that meant back then and what it can mean today. It's very important for us to understand. And you can ask that question if you so choose. We're getting questions now sent in to us each and every week, and we thank you for posing these questions to us, whether it's where wherever Mitch might be speaking or whether it's on our social media, wherever it might be. We appreciate the questions, so we will introduce a new segment that a lot of a lot of shows do, and we, we're going to introduce one as well. It's our Friday mailbag where we pull questions that have gotten. We got one coming in uh, from just west of the river here uh, in the Midlands area, Uh Shane wants to say this. He says, America is becoming drastically more secular, but that's almost becoming another religion. So how should Christian conservatives deal with this problem and have these discussions? Wow, it's a great question. It's a great question, and you see this playing itself out. Now, let's just take about it from the standpoint of what we have heard from some folks who are standing in a pulpit on Sunday morning. Well, that's politics, and I can't talk about that. And we are finding that one of the things that's being done, especially from a secular perspective, is the fact that they are trying to place some level of a political label on an idea and in so doing, relegating the Christian viewpoint to a corner and then slapping a label on that that says separation of church and state, Mm -hmm. which of course does not exist in the Constitution. It was a letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist that was protecting the church from the state, not the state from the church. And the, the reality that we find in that is... Way too often, you'll hear things, well, well, you know how the people on the right are on this particular issue, and in doing so, it muzzles a lot of the folks on the Christian side who fear talking about quote-unquote politics, when the reality is the issues that we're discussing go well beyond the scope of our Constitution, beyond the scope of government. It goes back to the scope of the Word of God as it is presented to us in the Bible. That should supersede all other discussions because it is the foundation and the basis of what we're talking about and the worldview that we bring. 
I totally agree, Dave. I think it's important for us to understand that secularism is the religion of the day. It is the culture's religion. And so as we look at the world around us and the opinions and the information that the world has in that worldly system, secularism is the worldview of the day. And I think it's uh, I think it's important for Christians to carry that Christian or that biblical worldview with them everywhere they go. My dad, I, I'm I'm the son of a preacher man, and and I'm a, I've been a pastor, uh, and and so my dad is a pastor. He used to say this. Uh, he'd say, "If Satan can't beat you by opposition, he'll beat you by imitation." And I think we're seeing a lot of that right now. We're seeing imitation of biblical principles. We're seeing imitation of uh, good things in our culture. And in in some ways, we're seeing men call good evil and evil good. That's That is very startling and should be very eye-opening. So that's the issue that we're, that we're seeing. So that's how the world is becoming more secular and it's almost religious in nature. But when you're having these conversations, it, it, it is now... I don't want to say religion against religion because that would that would diminish the conversation, but you have two separate worldviews that are shaped by religious principles. So when you're having that conversation, Dave, I always tell this to people, you're not going to be able to use the Bible as your argument with someone who does not hold to its teachings. It has no authority on their life. So as Christian conservatives, we're going to have these conversations the second part of Shane's question, how do you have those conversations? And that is where you have to take the, the biblical concepts and, and be wise with them and figure out how do you take a biblical concept and explain it to the person that you're talking to. Now, I'm going to have some folks who are going to listen to this who's going to probably email me and say, Dave, you're absolutely wrong on this. But going around and thumping on your Bible is not going to turn around and change somebody's opinion. You look at what Jesus did. Yes, there were times when Jesus rolled out the scroll and he read what he read, and then he sat down and he said, you know, here, here we are. But Jesus was about developing relationships. He was about going out to where the sick were. You remember the Pharisees, they were all upset that he was with sinners and tax collectors. Well, the reality was he was taking a very different message to them. And in doing so, was actually looking for those opportunities to be able to share what is the truth about who God is and why God is here in wanting to be in a relationship with you. Well, and, and if you look at that, when we start talking about the issues that we're facing, we can sit there and we can quote book, chapter, and verse, or we can be living it out. And in living it out, goes back to what Peter says. Live your life in such a way so that when others see something different about you and they ask you about it, then you have the ability to turn around and share the gospel with them about how Jesus has impacted your own life. I totally agree, Dave. I think it's so important for, and, and don't get us wrong. We believe that the Bible is the basis for our worldview. It is, we live with a biblical worldview. But I love, you know, Paul says this. He talks about exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And, and that brings me to another thought that we'll talk about here in just a second. But it's important for us to walk the talk not just talk the walk. It's important for us to have those relationships. And as we have those relationships, I was talking with a guy just yesterday. Um, I, 
very interesting conversation about logic versus relationship. And it's very interesting how our world has morphed and changed over time so that the capital of our day is not so much logic as it is relational. And the way we exchange ideas, the way we exchange influence is not so much my logic supersedes yours as much as it is relational in nature. Being with people, communicating, and and if I can say it and not sound terrible, communing with people. Jesus talks about this. And a lot of people really get up in arms with the idea of communicating with sinners. Jesus never sacrificed the message by eating with the tax collectors. Jesus never sacrificed his character or his deity by going and healing those that had been caught in their problems. Jesus went with the message. It never changed. I think it's important for us to understand that as we work through some of these things, our ideas are informed by the Bible, not necessarily do we, as you said, Dave, beat people over the head with the Bible daily. Another question that came in to us, uh, this is anonymously from Mitch, one of your meetings um, that, that you were that you were speaking at. And this question is regarding Christianity and patriotism. And, and, and in some respects, this move toward uh, a, a nationalistic ideal. What is the proper balance between patriotism and Christianity? I think you have to ask yourself, which are you first? Mm-hmm. Are you an American or are you a Christian? David Barton talks, he has certain labels that he, he does when he's out there speaking. And the first one is, I'm a Christian. Yes. I, you know, I talk about, I'm a Christian. I'm a husband. I'm a father. And in that order, because you have to have that order established because that, be, that becomes the set of your priorities. If the foundation of what you believe in is based upon America, then that's great, but that is not foundational. You're going to be sorely disappointed one way or the other. Yeah. Well, you said this earlier, Justin. I'm a Christian that happens to live in America, and we're blessed by that. I mean, I'm blessed to have the opportunity. Uh, I I dare say the word privilege, but we are blessed to live in this country. And I think it's amazing that God, in his sovereignty, put me here. And I was made for this time, in this place. It is by no accident that I am here now. So as, as we walk through that, we are here in America for a purpose. But that purpose is kingdom minded for God's kingdom and not necessarily for Americanism. Well, the big thing here, and I think this kind of goes back to the first question that Shane asked us. It, we 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 are the same as those who lived in. I, I'm I'm almost finished reading through the Old Testament. I'm almost done, and we are no different in our day than than the people were then. In that we have this desire, we have this desire to serve something mm-hmm. or someone we have this desire to worship something or someone and if it's not god it's going to be something else and so we have infused we have taken the idea of of having the privilege of living in this country and by all means it is a privilege to live here and it's a blessing to live here 
But we are now take we we've taken the ideas and we said, well, America was built on Christian principles. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. But it's it's different in that where's your mindset? Where what's your goal? Where are you? What are you putting your egg? What basket are you putting your eggs yeah. in? Because like I just kind of alluded to on Dave's point, you if you define yourself as a Republican, fifty percent of the time you're going to be upset, depressed, distressed, angry. Democrat, same thing. And even in a, as an American, look over the last year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. Are you telling me that at no point, honestly, truthfully, I think all of us sitting at this table can say there have been moments over the past year and a half to two years where we have felt angry mm-hmm. about what's going on. And that could be on a number of different fronts, by the way. You you look at the news and you look at what's going on, you just feel this, this, this anger rising up in you. And if you have the proper worldview or if you have the proper not worldview, if you have the proper perspective on that, it should be a form of righteous anger. If you do, if that does rise up in you, that proves to me at least, when I, when that happens to me, that I am definitely secure in the fact that my citizenship is not... When, when I die, <laughs> I don't go to a new America, right? No. And, and, and a quick yeah. spoiler... When the Lord returns, he does not set up his kingdom and call it America. It ain't happening, right? That's not what's going to happen. So we have to be very, very particular in saying, yes, blessed and proud to be an American, no question about it, thankful for the sacrifices of the men and women who have preserved and fought for and kept our freedom. But we're blessed by God to live here and he's the one we should be serving and we should turn around and take the blessings that he's given us and properly use them and dispense them to further his purpose and his kingdom, which is ultimately where we reside. And it goes back to, you know, there's very few Americans that are not part of the wealthiest 1% of the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the poorest person in America has more than some people have in a lifetime of your average American. And I think when you begin to look at that and you look at what opportunities lie before us, how do we turn around and use the resources we have? How do we use the time that we have? You know, I sat on my tractor, uh, lawn tractor one day and I was out mowing the grass and I glanced down and, and I saw the little counter that was down there and it dawned on me. It had the number 414 on it. And I did the math on it real quick. And I realized I had spent almost 18 entire days of my life on a lawn tractor, which made me start asking the question, how much time am I spending on other things? I sat there and started calculating the amount of time that I spend in the car, the amount of time that I spend on the phone. What am I doing when it comes time to, how much time do I spend on social media? And then I did the math real quick and realized there are 168 hours in a week. In your first week of life, you're gonna get fewer than 168 because you're not gonna be born you know, on Sunday at midnight. And on your you last week, on your, you might be, but on your last <laughs> week of life, guess what? You're going to have less than 168 hours in your week. But every other week in between, God gives us all 168 hours in our week. The question becomes, how are you using those? How are you using the resources of your time? 
the resources of your finances, the resources of, of the skills and talents and abilities that you that you use. I mean, no offense, I, I've, I've caught myself on it. How many times have you caught yourself scrolling through reels on Facebook or Instagram or whatever? And the kids use TikTok. The kids use yeah. <laughs> They're not on the Palmetto Family Matters podcast, but that's okay. But how many times do you spend time on that? And guess what? You realize that you've been a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour on it. And then all of a sudden, boom, that hour's gone. You don't get it back. Dave, I love what you're talking about there. Um, and I, I, we we throw this word around a lot at Palmetto Family, and I've used it in messages that I've preached, and it's the word investment. And the, the word investment, I think, is so important because it's not just something that uh, that you throw out there. It, it's something that you want to have a return on. And Jesus puts it so perfectly in, in Matthew chapter 6, where he talks about not laying up for yourself treasure uh, on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, make investments for the kingdom of heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as we think about investment, yes, you can make investments in the worldly things. And there's nothing wrong with trying to leave this world better than you found it for the next generation in biblical principles and making those investments. But the investments, ultimately, I think that we're all as believers, as Christian Americans, notice the proper perspective there, as Christian Americans who will one day not call America home, we're just a passing through, as that old song says, it's important for us to be making investments that are about the kingdom, about heaven, about the future with Jesus in mind. And so I think that perspective informs us in a totally different way so that our heart is in heaven, our heart is with our Savior, and we're making a difference here in America or wherever you are, if you're in Canada or, or, or Norway or Finland, where, wherever you are, you're making an investment for the kingdom, but that investment informs what you do here on earth in a totally different way. And then it also helps you begin to look at and ask yourself the question, how am I going to be investing myself? What am I going to be doing with my time, with my resources? Mm -hmm. Are you going to put them towards those things that ultimately don't matter? You know, where the moth and rust destroy. Mm -hmm. And and that's a, that's a great question to be asking yourself as we get into the Christmas season yeah. more and more. The ultimate gift that we received in Jesus Christ, who gave of himself selflessly to die on the cross for us. For every sin you have ever committed and will ever commit, for every sin, for every person who has ever existed, Jesus took that on on the cross. That was God's investment in us by giving us the gift of a Savior so that we could have a relationship unencumbered with him. Now, there are days I need to hear that message myself. <laughs> yeah. I need to preach it to myself right. sometimes more often than, than I ever do. But that's the reality. God made an investment in us through Jesus, and that's what's so important. So maybe to take this full circle as we enter into the Christmas season, 
the secularism of the day says materialism, materialism, materialism. Justin, I think our focus ought to be Jesus, a Savior, has been born. Right. So as you walk through this holiday season, and I say that as holy days. Correct. You know, days that are set aside. As you gather the family around for Christmas, yay, right? As I did last year. Go ahead. And, and you know, you eat the turkey and the you, whatever. Keep this in mind. A Savior is born. Yep. And we have the opportunity to celebrate from the rooftops. Jesus is the Savior of the world. So where is your investment? In the one who invested yep. everything in you. Yep. I, I, I think this one works because with these two questions, they all involve some level of action, right? Mm-hmm. Ezekiel twenty two thirty, God says, So I sought for a man among them who would mm. make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. And I heard um, a, a pastor who I listen to every day um, say, he's looking, is he going to find anyone? He's not just looking in America, right? He's looking all over the world. Is he going to find someone? Are you going to be willing to stand up and go, me? I'll do it. I'll stand in the gap or I'll I'll stand on the wall or I'll stand in my uh, my lentil patch, whatever it might be, you have to stand in the gap. If you want to send us questions, we enjoy getting these and I actually enjoy these conversations. They're not as staged, they're not as scripted, right? We we don't really have the talking points. We just take the questions and answer them. If you want to send in a question, you can send it directly to me, Justin at palmettofamily.org. Be happy to take your questions and maybe they'll appear on the next segment when we dive into the mailbag. Really quick, want to also plug that part one of our recidivism series is out on the Palmetto Family Council app. You can download the app on your iPhone or Android or your smart TV device. Part one is out now, talking about the pioneer. When I watched this for the first time, folks, I was moved. It was, I just stood and stared at the screen because I couldn't believe how awesome this story is. And it's just getting started. Part one, It is an app exclusive of the Recidivism series. So make sure you download the Palmetto Family Council app to get that. Enjoy your weekend. We'll be back here on Tuesday for another edition of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. For Dave Wilson and Mitch Prosher, we'll talk again next week.